This is HPR episode 2850 entitled NIST Cybersecurity Framework and is part of the series Privacy and Security. It is hosted by Ahuka and is about 28 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is what NIST subsets as a framework to improve security at the enterprise level. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, this is Ahuka, welcoming you to Hacker Public Radio and another exciting episode in our security and privacy series. Um, We recently did a show that talked about the uh, CERT recommendations for home networks. So, you know, that's aimed at the average home user. Uh, What I want to do today is go on the other side and take a look at enterprise level issues involving insecurity. And uh, what I want to do is take a look at something from the National Institute of Standards and Technology here in the United States, uh, which they call their cybersecurity framework. Now, National Institute of Standards and Technology does have a number of responsibilities, but uh, one of them certainly is information technology and security. Um, and so when they issued this cybersecurity framework, I thought, you know, not a bad thing to take a look at. And I think we do have some people who are in a uh, enterprise-level environment that would uh, perhaps be interested in seeing what this says. Uh, now, their cybersecurity framework sets standards for best practices that private companies are urged to adopt but federal government agencies are also directed to follow these guidelines. Now, that is not to say that they are doing so in all cases. Its uh, actual compliance is somewhat spotty, uh, and that certainly in the United States at least is something that's an ongoing problem is you can lay down rules as to what people are supposed to do. Whether they'll actually do them is another thing entirely. Um, Now, one of the things we're going to see as we look at this, and this explains part of the problem, I think, is that there's always a conflict between uh, security and ease of use that we talk about with uh, people, you know, at the individual level. So um, we talk about uh, things like, uh, you know, doing firmware updates and using strong passwords and everything. That's a little more work for people to do. When you get to the enterprise level, now you add in cost and other resources as an issue. Um, you know, a- achieving security at the enterprise level is not free. <laughs> um, uh, is going to require you to spend money. It's going to require you to devote person hours, 
staff resources, um, and change uh, your methods in some way. So all of these things uh, are reasons why the compliance level is not what it should be. Um, now, is that a bad thing? Uh, you know, uh, that's a, a question that management has to address. Uh, since resources are not infinite, you do need to choose priorities. And I would be the first to admit in my private life, I don't necessarily do every single thing that is recommended as uh, a, a security requirement. Uh, because in some cases, it's, it's like, you know, I don't think it's a big deal for me, and I'll make my own decisions. Um, so as we go through this list of recommendations, uh, it, it's quite possible that you're not going to find many, if any, organizations that do every single thing in this list. Uh, but it's a useful look at this one group, the NIST, and what their take is on best practices. And uh, I, I think it's important because we are becoming more and more reliant on large organizations to handle critical infrastructure. And that infrastructure is controlled by computers uh, and security of those devices becomes important. Uh, I was recently reading an interesting article about how Russia is targeting um, utilities and they basically started by going after Ukraine uh, but they're starting to also target uh, utilities here in the United States. And, you know, if, if tensions increase, what can they do? Uh, well, probably nothing good. Now, if you want to um, take a look at the document yourself, uh, which you're encouraged to do, uh, the link is going to be in the show notes for this. Now, the key term to understanding the approach that NIST uses is something called risk management. Now, this does not always mean adopting strict measures. Uh, you know, conceptually, the responses to risk are one, mitigation, two, insurance, or three, accept the risk. Uh, mitigation is what we normally think of as a response to risk, but ensuring against the outcome or simply accepting that something may happen can be valid responses as well. Right? Depends on the situation. Uh, in deciding which way to approach it usually starts with a calculation involving both the probability of an occurrence and the cost if it happens. If a risk has a low probability of occurring and a low cost if it does occur, it is entirely rational to just accept the risk. Now, the organizations that are the target of this particular document are critical infrastructure, which can be both public and private in the United States. Uh, private organizations are encouraged to follow these recommendations, but a presidential order in 2017 directed all federal agencies to follow them. Now, this framework has three major components. The framework core, which defines a common set of practices and outcomes for security. Uh, framework implementation tiers, which focuses on risk management practices and Three, a framework profile, which lets organizations assess current state, 
compare it to a desired future state, and identify opportunities for improvement. So the first of these is the framework core. And the framework provides a common language for understanding, managing, and expressing cybersecurity risk to internal and external stakeholders. It can be used to help identify and prioritize actions for reducing cybersecurity risk. And it is a tool for aligning policy, business, and technological approaches to managing that risk. It can be used to manage cybersecurity risk across an entire organization, or it can be focused on the delivery of critical services within an organization. Different types of entities, including sector coordinating structures, associations, and organizations, can use the framework for different purposes, including the creation of common profiles. So that paragraph is really a quote itself from the framework document and lays out what they're looking at here. So now the framework core has five functions, the core functions. Number one, identify. Uh, and that, there are two parts of this, identification of the risks and identification of the resources available to deal with the risks. Two, protect. That means to put safeguards in place to limit or contain the impact of a cybersecurity event. Three, detect. Uh, these are activities that involve security monitoring, detecting anomalies, and so on. Respond. That means to take appropriate action to contain the impact of a potential cybersecurity incident. And five, recover. This is the resilience part. You need to be able to restore normal operations and capabilities as quickly as possible. Now, framework implementation tiers. This is about the degree of sophistication in cybersecurity risk management practices. The document states that these tiers do not represent maturity levels, but I have to admit I am not sure where the distinction lies, since it sure sounds to me like they are maturity levels. Um, if, if you have a better understanding of that than I do, please record a show and explain it. I, I'm sure Ken would love to have more. So tier one, partial. All right. At this level, risk management practices are not formalized. Um, risks are managed in an ad hoc or reactive manner. Right. So that's, clearly, this is the beginning level. Cybersecurity practices are not guided by risk objectives, the threat environment, or business requirements. So I think I still tend to see a certain number of these things going on, even in the large organization that I work for. Um, one of the ones that is sort of constantly grates on me is this, you know, you, you must change your password every 60 days. Uh, why? <laughs> There's never a good answer to why. It's just, well, because that's what everyone does, right? 
So that's an example of a practice that is not guided by risk objectives, a threat environment, or business requirements. Uh, now, also Tier 1, a limited awareness of cybersecurity risk at the organizational level. And events are handled on a case-by-case basis. Okay. Um, it, it, I think of this when you get some company has uh, been cracked and people have stolen a bunch of personally identifiable information from all of the customers and and it was just, oh my God, no one could have predicted this. It is a super sophisticated attack. And when you finally learn what went on, it was like it was garden variety fishing. Um, but if you don't have any awareness of what's going on and you, you don't have that awareness at the organizational level, then you're just stumbling from one thing to the next. Uh, for a tier one, Information may not be shared within the organization. Okay? Um, information should be shared, but maybe you have people that are involved in turf battles, and oh my God, if I let anyone know what's going on, it'll make me look bad. Um, the organization will tend to view its risks in isolation and does not share information or collaborate with other entities, it does not see itself as part of an ecosystem. So that's, that's not good. This is really, I think, a lot of organizations are at this level right now, particularly a lot of private companies. Now, Tier 2 is a little bit better. This is what we call risk-informed. All right? So... For a Tier 2 organization, there are formal risk management policies that are approved by management. There's prioritization of cybersecurity activities, and it is informed by organizational risk objectives and the threat environment. Now, in our past discussions of uh, security, I've frequently quoted uh, or paraphrased uh, Bruce Schneier, uh, that, you know, everything starts with identify the threat and what is it that you want to protect yourself against. Um, you know, there, there's no sense in using a cannon to shoot flies. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you don't want to bring a squirt gun to a gunfight. So understand the environment you're operating in and what you need to protect. Now, in a uh, risk-informed Tier 2 organization, cybersecurity information is shared within the organization, but it's kind of informal. There is some level of awareness of other organizations in the ecosystem, and some information sharing is going on, but not in any formal way. So that kind of sounds a little bit like, yeah, there our chief information security officer went to a conference and had some drinks at the bar with a few other CISOs and they chatted about what's going on, okay? It's better than nothing, um, but it's not a formal process of any kind. Tier 3, that tier is what they call repeatable. Risk management is expressed as formal policies. 
Cybersecurity practices are regularly updated in response to changing business needs, a changing threat environment, and changing technology. Now, all of those things are continually changing. So you, you need to change with it. Things that uh, probably seemed perfectly valid uh, five or ten years ago are not valid now. Um, so you, you need to do your updating, and then you also want to have an organization-wide approach to manage cybersecurity risk. Right? Look at the entire environment. Uh, and your policy should be regularly reviewed and consistently applied. Now, a Tier 3 organization collaborates with other organizations in the ecosystem, upstream, downstream, and horizontally. Information is shared with all of these entities. So instead of having a, a few drinks at the bar with other security professionals, uh, there is a, a process for alerting people to security incidents, to share information, um, and it's a very formal kind of a process. And that's, that's what you want to see. And then finally, Tier 4 is adaptive. And so here we're talking continuous improvement, okay? Every time there's a security incident, you analyze what happened. You, you generate a lessons learned. Uh, you start to look for predictive indicators. You have a formal organization-wide approach to managing cybersecurity risk. And senior management monitors this just as they monitor financial risks and other organizational risks. Okay, very important. Uh, you know, right now, what tends to happen is that in a lot of organizations, the people responsible for information security uh, are regarded uh, in some places as an annoyance. Um, you know, I'm trying to get sales, and you're interfering with that with all your security or. You know, why should I spend all this money to secure our environment? Um, you know, that does not flow to the bottom line. Um, and, you know, a good way to fix that is uh, with massive fines and jail terms. Uh, when your chief executive officer is faced with the prospect of uh, jail time, uh, they will suddenly decide it is worthwhile to invest in uh, security. Right, uh, So, that would be one way to do that. Now, in this case, the organization, if it's an adaptive Tier 4 organization, is part of a larger community and contributes to that community to help everyone understand the risks. And the next thing we want to look at is the framework profile. Now, the the framework profile aligns the functions that we looked at. Remember the five functions, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. Now those have to be aligned with the business requirements, risk tolerance, and resources. So you analyze the present state in comparison to the desired future state and create a roadmap. And that roadmap it can be developed for making improvements to achieve that desired future state. Um, 
As we say in project management, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So, you know, you you need to have uh, a strategy for getting to where you're going, and then you need to execute that strategy. Now, a comparison of the current profile with the target profile is going to reveal gaps. We call that gap analysis, and the whole purpose of gap analysis is to identify where action needs to take place. Uh, Now, this overall approach is based on risk management, so we do expect prioritization is going to happen here. Uh, You may identify five gaps, but uh, are they all of equal significance? Not necessarily, okay? Uh, You want to identify the highest priority ones based, as we said before, on how likely they are to happen and what the cost is if they do happen. so it, it's, impo- it's quite possible that you're going to look at this and say, well, some of these risks we're just going to accept or we will insure. Um, now, insurance is a tricky thing. Um, I, I noticed there's a big thing in the news right now about a lawsuit because a company had cyber insurance uh, and they were victimized by the NotPetya attack, and that NotPetya attack uh, looks like it may have come from Russia, and the insurance company said, oh, acts of war, that's excluded, we don't have to pay you anything. <laughs> so uh, insurance is a little bit tricky right now. I, I assume this is going to get sorted out at some point, um, but I, I'm not sure I would want to rely 100% on insurance to protect me. So how do we use this framework? Okay, and there's a number of things that uh, we can recommend here. Number one, to do a basic review of your cybersecurity practices. Uh, So compare your practices with those in the framework core, and you're going to identify areas for improvement. Uh, Establish uh, or improve your cybersecurity program. And a number of elements of that. Prioritize in scope, okay? Assess your business objectives. What are your organizational priorities? Um, Figure out what it is you need to do. Then orient. Identify related systems and assets, the regulatory requirements, and the overall risk approach. Uh, Create a current profile. Where are we right now? What's our starting point? Conduct a risk assessment. Analyze both the probability and cost of possible cybersecurity events. And and you really want to do both of those, both the probability and the cost. You multiply those two things together and you get what in mathematics is called expected value. Uh, You don't want to spend a million dollars to protect yourself against something with an expected cost of $1,000. That's stupid. Uh, create your target profile. Where do you want to be in the future based on your priorities and your risk assessment? Where do we want to be? Then determine, analyze, and prioritize the gaps. Create that plan. Where are we now? Where do we want to be? And then implement it. Uh, And that's important. I I came out of a planning meeting the other day with upper management, and we were 
on a project. Uh, they had kind of laid down, you know, here's what we want you to do. And we came up with a plan that said, well, if you can help us do A, B, C, and D, we think we can get there. And they said, fine, we will we'll help you get A, B, C, and D. So walking out, I said to one of my colleagues, now we just got to execute the plan. You know, very important part there. Then repeat these steps. This should be a process of continuous improvement. And that is so important and you know, if you're working in an environment where you're doing agile programming, you're a large part of the way there already. But you, you want to continually assess, you know, every time you do something, where are we? Okay. Uh, so you started with a current profile. Then you go through a round of improvements. That current profile no longer represents where you are. Well, where are we now? Have we gotten to where our target was? Uh, and if we did, is that still where the target needs to be? Because uh, you're in an environment where threats are changing continuously. You need to be thinking continuous improvement. Now, one of the things that's important is the communication. So you want to be able to communicate with the stakeholders, particularly management, so a current profile is uh, one useful thing to communicate to management. Say, you know, here's where we are, and then bring in your target profile, see if you can get management buy-in, and then that becomes the basis for requirements documents for dealing with your business partners, like your suppliers, um, you know, it, for large organizations, supply chain risk management is now a critical organizational function. Uh, target profiles can also help align activities within an organization. Uh, that's also going to help uh, your buying decisions. All right? your, your purchasing decisions should reflect where it is you want to be, what your target profile is saying. Uh, so you want to buy things that are going to help advance you to, towards that. Um, and if you currently are buying things that don't advance you, then, you know, take a look at that. You know, maybe that's not what you should be buying anymore. Uh, you should identify opportunities for new or revised uh, information references. Uh, for example, your organization has identified a priority for action but it finds few or inadequate informational references. Well, you know, that may mean this is something that has not been well developed yet. Well, you could just say, gee, that's a damn shame. But what's even better is collaborate with other organizations in your ecosystem and start developing those things. Um, you, you need a methodology to protect privacy and civil liberties. Now, this is an area where, for instance, the European Union, I think, has been doing a much better job than the United States government. Um, you know, your cybersecurity may involve collecting information from individuals. And then, you know, uh, in, in the European Union, you've got the GDPR as just one example. And I don't think that's the end of the process by a, a long shot. So what you need to do is start developing formal policies to protect privacy um, and guard the information from your customers. 
uh, and take a look at what your legal requirements are in that respect as well. And, you know, I think a lot of American companies that are suddenly finding themselves subject to this kind of regulation, it's, it's kind of a shock because, you know, they succeeded in getting the American government to be hands off. Uh, well, you know, what I'm reading right now is the uh, American Congress is starting to wake up as well and say, hey, uh, you know, the days of, of letting you guys run wild are over. We need to rein this in now. So that was the, basically the framework that um, NIST put together for cybersecurity for, at the organizational level. Um, and so the idea is not so much to lay down specific regulations, but to create a, a framework for self-improvement and self-assessment. It's, it's more of a process than anything. Um, so for every organization, they're, they're going to have to figure out what works in their environment with their particular uh, risk profile uh, with their particular goals. Um, so you use the framework uh, as a way of moving towards where you need to be. Uh, and that's not a bad thing, I don't think. So what I'm going to do is this went on a little bit longer than most of mine. So I'm going to sign off now and remind you, as always, to support free software. Bye-bye. <music>